0: And start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Hey everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I've got Evan Iwataki with hey. me today. So did I get it right? You got it right. Got it right. First, first, first take. First take. I know that was <laughs> pretty special. Um, so I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, you know, you've been in marketing. You've had your own podcasts, You have a lot of different experiences that. Um, there's a lot to learn from, so really excited to have you on, so thanks for being here.
1: Absolutely, it's a pleasure. I, I'm i not always on this side of the podcast, so it's, it's nice, and uh, man, excited to kind of dig in and, and see where we go.
0: Yeah, so if you wouldn't mind, just kind of give us some uh, behind-the-scenes to your upbringing, like where did you grow up, um, and, and things like that.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll give you the the mile-long, inch-deep version. I I grew up in uh, Michigan. My parents moved over. Uh, My dad's Japanese. They lived in Hawaii. They moved uh, to Michigan. I grew up there uh, all the way until I was about 17 years old. Then uh, they moved down here to Oklahoma at at the time to go to Ramah, uh, and then my sister was going to ORU. So uh, depending on who you ask, uh, I believe my parents didn't want to get that far away from my sister. They wanted to keep everybody close. So the timing was a little suspect um, and uh, but it all worked out uh, I for me it was an opportunity to uh, go to a place that had maybe a little bit more opportunity I, I was in a small town in Michigan uh, really enjoyed it like it was you know your typical like 1980s kid like we rode our bikes to our friend's house uh, we had to be home by the time it was dark I would literally leave home and be in the woods or playing with friends all day long and I really don't remember where my parents were at the time yeah like I, I I just knew that by the time dinner came around like everybody was there so uh, you know probably you'd get child services called if you did that now but that was kind of my upbringing um I, I've been homeschooled I've gone to uh, public school I've done private school I've kind of done the whole uh gambit of uh, education uh so uh, I have kind of unique opinions on on all the different things um but uh You know, looking back at all of that, there was a lot of change that happened in that time. Um, And then for me, you know, obviously coming to Oklahoma, I felt like was the biggest step towards, you know, moving to a bigger city and more opportunity. So I kind of embraced that. Then uh, graduated high school from uh, Grace Christian High School, which does not exist anymore. So I think that means that my high school diploma doesn't exist. (laughs) so hopefully nobody goes back and looks at my transcripts yeah uh graduated from there went to university of denver for a year and then ended up at tu at that time i met my wife uh actually i met my wife in high school and we dated in high school and then into college i had a little break and then ultimately got married so technically i married my high school sweetheart so have uh, that going we've been married for uh 17 years and um man it's flown by. I got two boys. Uh, I have a 11 year old and a 13 year old. He just turned 13 not too long ago, so I gotta make sure I say it right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of that part of it. Um, once I graduated college, uh, was right out of school, got a job uh, at a marketing company and have been there ever since. And it's been a wild ride of uh, learning, growing. Um, and kind of working my way to the top, but then also just really growing in my, my leadership journey too. So, uh, hopefully that gives you kind of the cliff notes, but, uh, man, it's, it's been a ride.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a lot right in there. Um, but were there any experiences that kind of shaped you growing up? Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, for me being homeschooled, I had a very small knit group, um, and there was other families that would would do stuff and you know definitely had some some good memories there but as i progressed in my education and age i kind of felt like i was uprooted every single time uh and you know when, when that happened it kind of forced me to become independent and for me like i'm not one that likes change but i knew that the, those changes were necessary at the time like for me to go to public school like that was something that I wanted to do, uh, and I, I really just felt like you know I wasn't, I wasn't reaching my full potential uh, at you know public sc- or at home school and private school, and I just wanted to kind of expand my friend group. But when I got there, I recognized that man, some of these people had had friendships their whole lives, and uh, I was kind of jumping in into that. So I felt a little bit like an outsider, uh, and so it was really hard to kind of crack into that. It was difficult. Um, so I think part of that's where I, I, I became very independent. Um, I didn't want to ever depend on anybody, uh, and I wanted to just kind of do my own thing and maybe potentially earn my place or, or be the kind of person that, that people wanted to, to hang out with. So I think, I think some of that stuff goes back, back really early. Um, and then obviously kind of going to college that really taught me a lot about myself. Um, I had to make some pretty serious decisions. I think the first one was just figuring out what I wanted my major to be. And uh, going through that process, <clears throat> excuse me, going through that process, I, I felt like I was looking at a menu. And uh, I was like, okay, that sounds good. I think I'll be that. And so I don't recommend that as something that you do when you're trying to figure out what to do with the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, I, I took some things that I thought I was good at and I started to pursue those. And I uh, got all the way through my college uh, career and got to the other side and realized that I was, I had a degree in something that I, I wasn't necessarily passionate about. Mm. And uh, I had good grades in college, uh, graduated from the University of Tulsa. This is probably not the best um, promotion for the University of Tulsa, but I graduated and then I, I went to find a job. Well, the industry that I was in, which was more computer stuff, it was really hot at the time that I went to school. By the time I graduated, it had, it had slowed significantly. And so the ability to find a job was really difficult. And in that process, I took uh, some aptitude tests and I failed them. <laughs> and uh, man, that talk about crushing to your spirit. You're like, I graduated college. I learned this specific thing. And then when I got into the real world, it was completely different than what I expected. And not to say that I didn't know what I was doing. I knew what I was doing, but the the things they were testing you on was, was, instead of it being theory of how this thing works, it was actual ability to do. And I had very little experience in that. And so for me, in that process, uh, I really had to make a a hard decision. Do I continue to pursue something that I'm not necessarily uh, passionate about? Or take a look at the things that I knew were actual strengths for me. And that was probably the first kind of toe in the water of maybe looking a little differently at at what my career could be and uh, what I wanted to do. And if I had done that, maybe sophomore, junior of high school, I probably could have better prepared myself. Not saying that, uh, you know, you can't get experience from anything that you do. I obviously got experience all the way through that. But I think that was a really major point for me to say, what are my giftings, what are my talents, what are the things that I'm passionate about, what are the things that energize me, um, or what's risen to the top, and use that to make an informed decision instead of just saying, this looks like it pays really well mm-hmm. if I get to the other side of it, and I'm going to do that. Because you know, I'm sure we'll get to this, but in my mind, success was, how much money do I make, and you know, how can I support myself and do these things? I was making decisions based on that as opposed to making decisions based on really what I was created to be. Mm -hmm. And and going through that, how do you, how did you have the perspective
0: to process that internally where you started thinking about those things rather than maybe just shifting towards uh, success as financial or just as, um, you know, in your profession being successful in that, even if it wasn't something you enjoyed?
1: Well, I think partly, um, Kind of going into my actual career i I worked my way up uh, pretty quickly I excelled at sales uh, and so kind of found a, a job that kind of um, that integrated sales technology uh, and then ultimately marketing which uh, I found is was me having an opportunity to be creative and problem solve and so I got a little bit lucky and I think that sometimes you know luck happens when uh, preparation meets opportunity, but there's also dumb luck. And I think I got a little bit of dumb luck. Yeah. And, uh, what I found was I had the right people around me that kind of saw those things in me and it started to kind of rise to the top. Um, but I'm sorry, what was the question again? I kind of, I was getting there and I lost it for a second. Yeah, no,
0: just about how basically in that, in that experience where you failed your aptitude test, how did you have perspective to, to sit there and say, this could be something that I could keep going with oh, because yeah. of this, or I can change my perspective, find something that I'm maybe a little more gifted and talented at that I enjoy? Yeah. So um,
1: so um, the stuff I was doing drained me. It was more uh, programming, coding, yeah. uh, computer stuff. And I kind of looked at that from the standpoint of, like, if I'm doing this for the next 10 years, I'm going to be except Like, I, was, I barely made it through four years. And it technically wasn't even four years because I only specialized in the last two. Yeah. So, I was just like, I don't think I want to do that. And the other side of it was the industry was dead. So, <clears throat> it's not that the actual industry wouldn't continue on. It has. It's just there wasn't jobs at the time. And so, I think that made my, my decision a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... I just remember thinking to myself, I can always sell. Like there's always going to be a need to sell. I just got to find the right thing to sell, and maybe I can merge together my, uh, you know, my technological background that I've gotten from college. Maybe I can merge, you know, some of these things together, and then eventually get maybe closer to that. But I didn't know. I mean, I was I was still shooting in the dark a little yeah. bit, and uh, I I was inching in the right direction. I and mean, I think that first hard conversation with myself of. You know, what am I actually good at? I think that was probably the key to setting me on the right path. Now we have things like strength finders and, and Berkman. Sure. And you have things uh, that, you, you know, person personality traits and anagrams and all that other stuff. I had no clue about that stuff. So when when I was, you know, further along, I actually took a lot of that stuff. And that it was so revealing to me. But at the same time, I was like, man, if I had just known a little bit sooner. So I'm not sure the age group of your audience, but uh I'm assuming it's kind of your, your age group, your generation. That stuff right there, as, as hocusy pocusy as it feels sometimes, or when you, you hear people talk about, well, I'm a I'm a six, I'm a three, just knowing that about it yourself, I think really puts you in a position to where you can make decisions about the direction of your life that you want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh to things that will fulfill you to things that are going to uh encourage you and and help you to feel like I'm making a difference um you know we get into purpose you know words like that are things that you always hear about as a kid but when you get to a point of like understanding your true purpose and then either operating in your purpose or seeing other people operate in their purpose to me that's where success really starts to uh, materialize. That's no longer the, uh, you know, how much is in the bank account? What does my, my business card say? Uh, if I'm able to operate in my purpose and I'm passionate about it, um, that for me was something that I was like, man, I, if I can work towards that, then that's where my fulfillment's gonna come from. It's not gonna be from how much money's in the bank account, because no matter how much is in there, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as as your possessions and your responsibility and everything grows, uh, so there's the stress and you're just like, man, how much more can I put in there in case it all falls apart? Yeah. <laughs> the answer is never enough. I mean, it's it's just never, you just never know. So I would much rather be working towards something that fulfills me, that gives me purpose and that, uh, you know, I can see God working through mean, that's, that's the direction that I'm, I'm trying to go now.
0: Mm-hmm. And how can, how can younger people apply <clears throat> that in their life at an earlier age instead of it towards the end of their life and look back and say, oh man, I wish I would
1: have done this at an earlier time. You know, um, I don't know about you, but I knew everything once I turned about 16, 15, 16 yeah. years old. Yeah. I knew it all. Uh, and I continued to know it all for the most part until, uh, you know, I took that aptitude test and realized I knew nothing. Yeah. So my answer to that question would be that you need to realize very quickly that you don't know anything. And with that comes humility. And with that comes the ability to be vulnerable because for me to go to a teacher and learn or me to go to a mentor and learn requires me acknowledging that I don't have all the answers and I don't have all the solutions. Um, For me, that is paramount for kind of getting the direction that you, you want to go the other side of it is so i i told you in the beginning i was very independent and self-sufficient i didn't want to depend on anybody so i didn't learn that stuff uh early on partly because i had enough time and energy to figure it out uh and if i were to look at my strengths now i would say i'm a problem solver i'm going to figure out a way i'm not just going to figure out a way to do it i'm going to figure out the best way to do it so i would go do that well if i had a mentor I could have accelerated that process astronomically. Um, they could have just said, here's the best way to do it. And I think a little bit of pride gets in the way. I think a little self-assurance gets in the way. And I think a little bit of just feeling like you, you have all the answers or you know, this, this old guy is not going to be able to tell me anything. Um, I think all that stuff just slows you down. And the sooner that you can step back and say, I don't have all the answers, and right now I have enough energy to learn, but if I'm very intentional with what I'm learning... Uh, not just trying to figure it out, but how do I get uh, around the the right kind of people that that I know will get me on the path that I need to go and just turn into a sponge that's that's where it's it's gonna speed up so the sooner you can figure that out, I think the sooner you'll find again more fulfillment in what you're doing, I think you'll get closer and closer to your purpose um, and i I think you'll you'll just save a lot of time, which you know, I'm, I'm still, I still classify myself as young. Yeah. I mean, I just turned 40. But uh, if I figure this out in my 20s, I'm not saying anything would be drastically different. I think I'd have a lot less stress. I'd have a lot more peace. Um, you know, I, my success would be different. Um, but I, I just think that so much can happen from that. I, I think people look at guys like Steph Curry and they just drain threes all the time, mm-hmm. and you just assume, well, I just need to do that, and then you go out and shoot a basket and you airball it, and you're sitting there going, well, you know, what have I done? Like yeah. I'm horrible at this. Clearly, I can't do that because, you know, I look at guys out there and they're just you're just you're focusing on the success and not the journey. I think mm-hmm. you could learn a ton from Steph Curry, and none of it has to do with a basketball. Absolutely, See, I'm using some basketball. Yeah, start, yeah, I like it. But I think that. You know, just understanding that, like, yeah, I could figure out how to make a three-pointer and teach myself. I'd rather get around the right kind of guy that that can just say, here's what you focus on. Aim small, miss small. Mm -hmm. Mechanics, uh, you know, focus on the fundamentals. Like, all those things that you hear and you just don't want to do because you're just like, I just want to go out and shoot it. And I just want to go shoot half-court shots all day at practice. Well, you're not actually going to do that in in the real world. And you're not going to do that in the game. Yeah. you know, focus on those fundamentals. There's business fundamentals. There's leadership fundamentals. There's, you know, human interaction fundamentals. Man, that stuff will go a long way.
0: Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, it takes so much longer to learn something on your own. And it can it be does. so condensed when you learn from people that are ahead of you or where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes a huge difference. And on the Steph Curry part where you sit there and we look at success and that's all we kind of focus on sometimes but we don't see the preparation and the hours and hours and hours of preparation that's put in to achieve that success. And at the same time, what you're talking about a little bit, if you can learn at an early age about who you are, a little more about your gifts and abilities, because if we all go out there and try to be Steph Curry and shoot like Steph Curry, the majority of us are not going to, hardly any of us are going to be able to do that, right? Because the abilities that we have are not quite there. Mm -hmm. But if we focus and take things from him, we're, you're sitting there, you're focused on um, maximizing the person that you are and the abilities that you have to be the best at whatever those things are. It kind of helps you have that focus when you start preparing that really you're going to be able to maximize your talents and abilities in that way.
1: Yeah, I think there's a combination between passion and mm-hmm. purpose. Uh, I think he has a passion for the game mm-hmm. and it aligns with his purpose. Um, I think if somebody else were to go do that, if I were to go do that and spend that amount of time in the gym... I wouldn't be able to do it cuz I'd be completely drained. I, I thought like, you were going
0: to say you'd be better than him. So I don't think so. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: okay. I, there's probably other things that I'd be better than than him at. Um I can't remember who said it if we you know judge you know the success of an animal by its ability to fly um you know like you know tigers and lions and stuff would be a- absolute failures. But yeah. That we we're not in a situation where the one thing defines you. But I will say that if for him, if his purpose is playing basketball and, and leading on, on the court, and uh, you know, for him to go spend hours and hours and hours in the gym, and he just wants to be there, yeah, he's gonna, he will be better than me all, all day long. But if there's something that I can do that energizes me, that I enjoy, that I'm passionate about, and I'm tuned into that, look out. Because I'll give anybody a run for their money. Because that's that's kind of that, Extra two percent, like you know, I think there's a lot of people that will uh, go really hard and they'll see success. But the guys who it looks effortless to, it's the ones that you know you can't outwork them because they're 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 energized by the process. They're growing stronger in the adversity where you're potentially growing weaker. And I think that that's where you really need to step back and say, okay. What are the things that bring me life? What are the things that energize me? And what are the things that God moves in? Um, are those things that I've had success in? And if if that's the case, then start whittling down towards that. I just completed uh, one degree with, with Dave Jewett, who I know you know, and just you know gleaning from all of the wisdom and, and expertise that he has. And he's not saying anything that's just mind-blowing. What he's saying is, is let's take a you know a three sixty degree view of your life. What's the one thing? What's that one percent? That direction that you're, and how do we keep you going in that direction? And for some people, you know, they just they don't want to spend the time doing it. They just there's too much stuff going on, and they want to try and do everything. Those are people in their twenties, and they, because they have the time, and, and they 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 were like me, like hey, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I have less time now. I have more responsibility. And I want to be more intentional with that time. So a program like One Degree for me is way more attractive because I'm willing to spend that time to make sure that I'm staying in the things that, that really drive me. And, you know, if I'm able to do that, not to say you can't do that when you're young, because for me, when, I'm, when I was young, I'm young. Uh, I need to go out there and I need to just try a bunch of stuff. Not just try the things that I think I'm good at, because I was good at computers and programming and stuff. Not just do those, but find the things that maybe there's a little bit more evidence. And some of that in- involves going out there and failing. Some of that go- involves pushing you outside of your comfort zone. A lot of those things involve change. And I think that in a world of safe spaces and, and uh, you know, especially like, people wearing masks and staying home and pandemics. Like, I think we're being programmed right now to just hide. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, from a medical standpoint, anything, all I'm saying is that you need to get out there and try new stuff and, and learn to fail and learn to fail successfully because no time is wasted. Uh, you know, that, those, those years in my 20s, my college career was not wasted. It was not a failure. I learned a lot in college. Um, and I, the most important thing I learned was what I didn't want to do with my life yeah. uh, so was that worth the price of the education? I don't know um, but when I go through and identify like what are the things that I enjoy doing, what are the things that uh, that I, I think are potentially within my purpose, I, I have a much larger spectrum to look at as opposed to, well I'm really good at playing video games and riding bicycles and mm-hmm. uh, You know, as much as I want to be a Call of Duty YouTuber, I just don't think that that's going to fit for all people. So get out there and and try new stuff. I learned to solve a Rubik's Cube. My my 11-year-old taught me how to solve a Rubik's Cube. And this was when I was uh, 39 because I just recently turned. I actually was of the same mindset. I'm going to figure this out how to do it. You know how many combinations it takes no, to uh, solve a Rubik's Cube? It's in like the tens of millions. Really? So, again, I have a lot of energy and time. Yeah. Uh, I don't have that much time. Yeah. So, for him to show me, and he just watched YouTube. That's how he learned. Uh-huh. Uh, he learned how to do it and then uh, showed me how to do it. It took me six days um, and the most frustrating thing is i learned that my son is a horrible teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like just do this. Yeah. And i'm like no, that's not going to work. I was like what's step 1? And for me, uh i probably could have gone my whole life not learning how to to solve a rubik's cube. But it it taught me that i can still learn stuff. Uh it it taught me that it was un- still uncomfortable um the payoff's really not that great, except to say that I know how to do it. Yeah. Um, but man, it's like so fun to just sit there and just know that whatever whatever it's mixed up to, I can solve it. Yeah. And that is just such a, a crazy little thing, but it was just kind of reminded me, just keep getting out there. I failed a ton of times. I got to step seven and I screwed up one thing and I had to start over again. Yeah. And that is so frustrating, but I chose not to, I knew when I was, you know, going again, I was like, okay, I made that mistake. Three times, you know, what am I, okay, I was turning this way instead of that way. And it, you just, the more repetition you have with it, uh, your your brain just picks it up. When you're a young man, it, it, it picks it up so much faster. And it's not as hardwired. I mean, he's solving it without moving it. I'm, like, doing this, and I'm, like, moving here. Yeah, It's just, it, it's. I'm sure if I spent the time, I could figure out how to do it that way. But I really don't care anymore. I just mm-hmm. wanted to solve it. But, you know, for me, it was just learning it's okay to fail it's okay to try new things and for, it, for me the process of learning to solve it was really really fun mm-hmm. and i think what you'll find is not just in the things that you're doing uh sitting back and going okay like am i going to make a ton of money doing this i'm not going to make any money solving rubik's cubes yeah unless i'm like a speed cuber, which is a thing i found out really um okay. but for me it was like okay that like i enjoy problem solving I enjoy sitting back and looking at, you know, this jumbled mess of colors in a cube and then learning how it moves and, and what the combinations do and what, what is that telling me. And like when I get to here, what do I do next? And it's just that that problem solving part of it. I could spend a couple hours doing a Rubik's Cube, learning how to do a Rubik's Cube, and I wasn't exhausted. I, I, I sat back and I was like, I would literally like wake up thinking about it, you know. Uh, just thinking about the combinations of the moves, and uh, you know, for me, that was like kind of a clue. Is like, okay, this is something. This is like a driver for me. It's it's something that I enjoy doing. That would if I can spend more time doing things like that, um, I'll be energized. I'm working in my purpose, and I'm uh, I'm solving a problem. But a lot of times, when you solve a problem, people are willing to pay you to do that. And now we're talking. Now now we're now we're going in the right direction.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's what. There's a quote that says success leaves clues, but also I would say that experiences also leave clues too. Mm -hmm. Just what you talked about um, going back and looking into those experiences that you've had, just as simple as a Rubik's cube. What are, uh, would you say that you're a naturally curious person?
1: I would say that I'm not a naturally curious person. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say that my curiosity is awakened um, when I see other people that are passionate about things, hmm. um, which sounds really weird when you say it that way. No, it makes sense though. But if I walked up to a like a World War II statue and I just looked at it, I'd be like, "That's nice." Yeah. Yeah, somebody did something wonderful. Mm-hmm. Somebody saved a bunch of lives. But if I have somebody there who loves World War Two history and they're talking about the battles and they're talking about this person in in particular and what they did. And, uh, you know, the adversity that they overcome, the things that they did and the climate at the time and what was going on and, you know, the guns that they had to use and, and the way that you communicated. Now I'm interested. Now I'm curious, but if I were to just look at that, I I would go, okay, move on. Like that doesn't mean anything to me, but when I'm around people that are passionate about certain things, my curiosity goes crazy because then I'm like, tell me more. I want to know. Uh, That's why it's dangerous for me to get on YouTube, uh, because there's a lot of junk in there, but there's also some really cool stuff, and you can learn how to do anything. Um, Like right now, my house sits in what used to be a pasture. It's my yard now, and there are YouTube channels of people that will teach me how to turn it into a golf course if I want to, Yeah, and I am all sorts of curious about that, but I would not have been... If the guy was just like, here are the chemicals, spray them, you're done. I mean, these guys are a little eccentric, and they they are nerding out about how to make their. To, it's called lawn domination. Okay. Where you dominate your neighbor, and just embarrass them because their yard is a mess compared to yours. Uh huh. I'm in on that. I want to dominate my neighbors' yards, and so of course I've spent stupid amounts of money and time figuring out how to do that. And so that's what's awakened my curiosity.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to ask that too, because, you know, you started your podcast, mm-hmm. the Young Business Business Leader Podcast, and you got to interview a lot of different people. Yeah. Um, people from uh, Governor of Oklahoma, Kevin Stitt, mm-hmm. right? Um, people in Chick-fil-A, people in Hobby Lobby, all these different people. And there's so many lessons that you just talked about that you probably heard as patterns through those stories, maybe. Yeah. And how did, how did that even come about? Like, how did the podcast come about for you, saying this is something I want to do?
1: Yeah, um, it really came from me solving a problem. Uh, at the time, it was with the young businessman of Tulsa, and they had a monthly lunch. And uh, I was part of the leadership there. And essentially, the speaker has 25 minutes to speak, which is not a lot of time. Yeah. And the speaker uh, usually has to get, like, a signal that it's time to wrap it up. Well, I was the guy that had to give the signal. So I'm in I'm in the back and this guy's going and I can't remember who it was. And I was like, oh man, this is like this is really good stuff. Like yeah. this is great. And I look at my watch and I'm like, he needs to end. Yeah. <laughs> like we're gonna be past time. We wanna be respectful of everybody's time. You know, it's during lunch, during a bit, you know, a work day. So I was like, crap. So I'm like, five minutes, like, let's go. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. And I can see him, he's got his papers right there. And, uh, you know, I, I just inch my way closer and closer to him kind of letting him know. Well, the guy had like eight pages of notes and he was on page two. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm just I'm sitting there going, you know, there's, there's a lot of really good information here that I think people need to hear. I was like, I'm just going to start like a, a podcast where we share the recordings of, of the luncheon. But then, you know, if the speaker doesn't have time to finish their thoughts, like we can create an opportunity for them to do that. So that was kind of the idea behind it. And it just kind of grew and grew and grew to the point where i was doing a weekly podcast and did i did it weekly for about three years i think it was a long time and so one of those one of those weeks was the just recording from the lunch and then the other three were guests that i would get and then uh eventually i kind of like as we were doing it more and more i realized that uh, success and and some of the leadership principles we were talking to were not localized to tulsa Uh, And they were not, you know, gender specific. And so that's why I wanted to take a step back and say, okay, we're hitting on a lot of great stuff. And I don't want people to potentially miss out on the content because it's a young businessman of Tulsa thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's when I switched over to the Young Business Leader podcast. But that's kind of the the birth of it. It's it's kind of come and gone a little bit. I've switched over to uh, helping out with uh, a men's ministry for Church on the Move called Brotherhood. And I've kind of shifted my focus over there. Not saying that the Young Business Leader podcast, uh, you know, won't start back up again because I've I, I have toyed around with the idea of it. I just want to kind of maybe you know tweak it a little bit because you know going at a, a weekly pace was was pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I learned so much from that. I had an opportunity to speak with some really amazing people, um, and I learned a ton in it. So if nobody listened, which I know that people did listen, but if nobody yeah. listened. Um, I was better because of it. And on the other side of it, um, it created some great opportunities. It created some great relationships. And so it was, it was a fun ride. And again, no time is, is, is wasted, uh, when you're doing stuff like that, because even though, if you know, I only had, if, if I only had two people listen to it, me, probably my mom and like maybe one other person, yeah. it didn't matter because it was, it was educational. And i think i became a better speaker because of it uh i was able to you know think a lot quicker uh, i think i was a better communicator at that point so man it checked a lot of boxes and i think it still does so that's why i continue to do it just you know it's changed a little bit since then
0: mm-hmm. who are some of your favorite guests you had on the podcast
1: man um you had uh gabe sherman mm-hmm. i believe gabe sherman was a great guest He's he's an awesome dude love him um, Justin Wren, uh, who is with uh, Fight for the Forgotten, I uh, heard him originally on a Joe Rogan podcast, and I was like, man, this guy's cool. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a faith and business thing, and there he was speaking, and I was like, this is amazing. So I was able to have him on. Uh, he did some stuff with Jazzco, a guy named Steve Trice, who, from a leadership standpoint, um, just the things that he does uh, in terms of, like, like kingdom business, uh, in terms of, like, you know, how, how can I... Make sure that I put people first and and reflect Christ to them. Yeah, you know JASCO does a fantastic job of that Um, Obviously, you know talking to Mark Cathy at Chick-fil-a. That was that was really cool Um, I always talk about Martin Frey. He's he's the guy that's climbed uh, all He's climbed the the seven summits and sailed the seven seas So he's climbed the highest peak on every continent and he's uh, sailed Uh, Every ocean, and he's also since then been to the North Pole and the South Pole, so he's dubbed the world's most adventurous man. Um, So that was just incredible. Just when you think of setting audacious goals and doing and pushing yourself beyond what you think you're capable of, he's the most unsuspecting, like chill guy I've ever met. Yeah, and uh, I was like, Man, tell me about like you're climbing Everest and. You know, we, you hear the stories about just the struggle and and all that other stuff. Like, what you, what's going through your mind at that point? And he's like, oh, I was just quoting a poem to myself. or Like, <laughs> I was just kind of thinking through it. I'm like, okay. So then I later on went and I climbed a 14er in Colorado. I was not thinking of a poem. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I shouldn't be here. This is, I, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Like, I want to get hurt. Like, that's what was going through my mind. And I'm on, like... Not nece- not necessarily an untechnical climb, but compared to what he did, dude was so chill. He's just quoting like little like haikus to himself. that, yeah. that was incredible. So, uh, yeah, a lot of great stuff. Paul Wozekowski is another one um, that he actually worked with Gabe Sherman over at NASA, but not a not like a big name or anything. But uh, th- what we talked about was that my path is not your path, and that for me was a really important. Um, Podcast in the sense of recognizing that I can't compare my success to other people's success. I can't uh, look at, you know, whether it be people my age or people that I, you know, live with or they're in my community or, or whatever. I can't always compare myself to where they're at and say, what the heck's wrong with me? I just have to recognize that I'm on my own path and they're on their own path. And that when things come up, if they're successful, that I need that I can celebrate with them, um, and then just know that my opportunity is coming. Or when I have success, remember to bring people along with me. And that was it was just a really powerful conversation uh, to just kind of go through that and just get a little little vulnerable, little raw about you know just the struggles of just being a leader and and, and you know having a family and and seeing other people's success around you and going that guy didn't deserve... Like, how in the world did that guy no. you know, do this, and I'm sitting here and working my butt off, and I'm just not seeing it yet? Yeah. And just having the freedom to step back from that and say, you know what, if he's op- if that person's operating in their gifts and they're, they're they're operating within their purpose, of course that success is going to come to them. My job is to find my purpose and find my path to success and pursue that and ultimately reflect Christ in the entire process. If I can, if I can do those things, that's where success truly really lies. So, man, some of those just deeper conversations yeah, were, yeah. were so great. Um, it didn't have to be a huge name. It was, uh, you know, some of the, the standard conversations were, in my opinion, some of the most impactful. Yeah, and how did you
0: connect with all these different people?
1: I mean, some were speakers from... Yeah, so YBT, YBT. helped um, just because, you know, having an association name... That you know had a website and had a little bit of notoriety that helped. Um, th- but over time, it was just you know kind of pointing back to the, the consistency of the podcast and you know and and hitting on some of the messages that we wanted to communicate. But many of the people that I talked to, were in a phase of life that they were ready to give back, and so you know, just me being a younger guy, pursuing them and just saying, hey, I want to talk about these things. I talked to Jim Stovall, and uh, he's he's blind. But I did the podcast uh, in his office and it was so funny because as I was talking about certain things, I I could tell when I struck a chord with him or there's something that he really connected with Mm -hmm. because he just lit up. And it was the coolest thing. I was like, you know, Jim doesn't have to do this for me. Like he's got a ton of other things that he can do. You know, he's, he gets paid a lot of money to go speak and share his wisdom. And he was willing to spend the time with me just because I was hungry and I wanted to learn and I was really connecting to some of the things that I think probably he's been saying for a long time, but, uh, for me, it was, it was fresh and it was new. And, uh, I just wanted to share that with others. And, and once I, once I was able to communicate that, I, I think the purpose was, was the other reason that I was able to get uh, some of the guests that I was, um, I was born in 81, so 1981. And so I'm technically a millennial. That 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 group keeps getting bigger and bigger. It seems like yeah. so, but they've kind of settled on like 1980. So I'm one of the oldest millennials, and I kept it, it, at first I thought I was a Gen Xer, and I was just like, ah, oh, those stupid millennials. They can't, they can't even. They all want participation trophies and things to be given to them. And as I got further into it, I, I just realized I was like, ah, oh, they're gonna start putting me in this group. Like I gotta do something about this. So the other part of it was just kind of saying like, hey, you know, if I'm gonna be a millennial. If that's the label that someone's going to put on me, then I'm going to define what it is. And, um, I think just kind of taking those, some of those steps to say, you know, like we're not victims. We, we are going to take ownership of who we are. Uh, we've seen a lot and, and, and life um, it, for our perspective of life is different. Just like, you know, kids growing up now, you know, if I'm younger through a pandemic, I never had to go through a pandemic. And, and so for kids, these days that they feel like the world could end at any moment um so that changes your outlook in life that changes some of the things and that will ultimately shape how they make decisions and so for us it was like you know september 11th it was you know the birth of the internet it was it was all these other things uh from a technology standpoint that that uh, kind of allowed us to see just this huge amount of growth this connectivity this information that's available uh and then also this amount of tragedy that can happen and so i just said you know what let's let's find a way uh, to figure this all out and the crazy thing was we were raised by we were raised by the previous generation yeah. and their generation was completely different too it was a bunch of hippies yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're just trying to figure it out and you know I, no fault of their own they did the best they could so you know now it's up to us Man, we gotta take uh, take responsibility for who we are and the podcast was my attempt to kind of reshape culture a little bit so uh, I think I did it I, I don't have a big enough audience to say that it really impacted anything but who knows when the you know they're they're digging up the ancient ruins of Tulsa, and they come across the the Tulsa Internet. Yeah. And they find my podcast. They'll be like, "Oh, look at look at what they were trying to do back then." You know, yeah. Such a primitive being. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, no. I mean, I think obviously you've you've you know it wasn't just a small podcast. There's a lot of listeners to it. Um, but you went out with the intent also just to help people. Yeah. I think that was kind of the the theme is you want to help people learn and grow and become better leaders. And so speaking on that part, was it pretty fun and rewarding? Did you get any people reaching out to you about, you know, something that impacted them through a show or, or what was that like through those conversations?
1: Yeah. Um, I did have people reach out. Um, it was, it was crazy cause there was when I was doing them once a week, there was so much content that I had to almost step back when people would talk about an episode it, cause it would take a little bit. And yeah. I mean, I was, I learned from guys like John Lee Dumas who he was doing a daily podcast at times. So I don't even know how, <laughs> I don't even know how he kept up with all that. He since changed it, but yeah, that was, that was his thing and he, and he grew it and it, it became this massive thing. But you know, they, they would come and, 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 and talk about, man, you know, tell me about this. And like, I would kind of go, I would be able to go a little bit deeper in the conversation with it and just kind of, Uh, it would become new to me again, because as I, as I'm talking about it, I'm sitting there going, oh man, I remember thinking this, or I remember editing it, and um, at that point, I'd listen to it a couple times, just to, you know, make sure that there was no technological issues or anything like that, but uh, it was, it was just cool, because it it became its own thing, and then I could have conversations with them about their leadership journey, and, and some of the experiences that they've had, and you know, sometimes it was just like, you know, what is he like? What is that person like? And other times it was, man, I've dealt with the imposter syndrome and I know that it's it's really dangerous and I'm it's nice to know that, you know, I'm not the only one that deals with something like that. And that for me that was cool because it, it just created an opportunity for a relationship. And I think that, you know, through my journey for a lot of the things that I've done, um, I've recognized that if I'm the guy that never is vulnerable, never shows weakness, never, um, doesn't have the answer. I'm not relatable. And the podcast was an opportunity for me to be a little bit more relatable to let that guard down a little bit. Um, and ultimately build relationships because some of the best relationships you have are when you walk through adversity together, when you do fail, um, you know, the people that are there to help you through that. Do you have better relationships as a, as a result of that? I always tried to avoid those things. I always if, if something was going wrong, I wouldn't tell anybody about it because mm-hmm. then I'm a failure, and I don't want you to think I'm a failure. I want you to think that I know all the answers. Yeah, And that was flawed because whenever um, I was in a situation where I didn't have all the answers, I didn't have anybody around. I didn't have the, the, the kinds of relationships that I needed. And so um, for me, the podcast was a way to open myself up a little bit But hopefully encourage other people, too, to say, you know, words like vulnerability um, are foreign to guys. Uh, You know, we're supposed to we're supposed to be the the macho men. We're supposed to, you know, just go running into the burning building. And for me, it was like, you know, to be vulnerable and and to have empathy. Man, those are two really foreign things for me. I still struggle with empathy. I'm not very empathetic. I'm becoming more so uh, just because I'm like starting to understand. But man, I was a a tough love guy. Like, hey, suck it up. Why can't you be like me and figure it out on your own? Yeah. And then I realized, well, I didn't have to figure it out either. So I should give him a little grace. Yeah, for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So going back a little bit to the podcast, you talked about where it was focused on comparison. Yeah. And you saying that was one one of your favorites that you've been through. Um, You know, why is it? so hard to not compare in our culture and and just from an early age I i think many people compare even later on people compare how do you get past that how do you focus on uh you know yourself and not comparing yourself to other people
1: well um i've thought about this a little bit and i think that comparing is natural to us because we're used to having a scoreboard we're used to having some sort of way to figure out who's winning and who's losing and so you know growing up it could be academics it could be grades it could be sports it could be you know a game that you play and you're you're constantly looking at the scoreboard saying okay i'm winning you're losing or we're tied right now or this is how much i need to overcome to to get to this certain place and so i think it becomes uh intrinsic and i think we're just naturally competitive I, i think you know we see uh, we, we see people around us and you're you know, like I'm better looking than that guy or <laughs> like I'm smarter than him like I think that uh, all those things kind of race through our heads because you know we, we want to be wanted and who are the people that are most wanted? The ones that are, are winners, the ones that are successful and so I, I think it's just natural to want to do that um, but I think that when you get to past college and you get into a career the scoreboard changes it goes away um it's not visible anymore it's visible based on maybe the clothes that you wear or the house that you you have or the um the title on your business card or how much money you have on the bank Um, i've heard this uh there's some of the industries that i'm in that the the people that are the presidents or the founders of those industries they're billionaires And often I've I've had conversations of like what's the point when you're a billionaire like, it's great. I have a billion dollars. I will probably never be able to spend all 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 of the multiple billions or single billion dollars that you have. It's a lot of money. It's a lot, yeah. Um, so like, why do they keep pushing? Why do they keep pursuing? And multiple people have told me that's their scoreboard. It's they just they want to be this kind of billionaire. And there's just different – there's continuing to be different levels. I found out very quickly when I went to Las Vegas that I am, like, really low on the levels. Like, (laughs) I thought I was doing pretty good. Like, I had a house. I had two cars. I had kids. I, you know, I had a good job. I had the title. And I went to Vegas and was like, I don't even want to walk in that store. I think it's going to cost money to walk in that store. I don't want to do it. And it's just – the scoreboard just changes. And so you're constantly trying to figure out, like, what is success – and how do I compare on that spectrum of success and so you know from the beginning of just looking up and saying here's where I am to now looking up going I have no idea where I am um, and for guys I think we put a lot of our identity into our success mm-hmm. um, you know I've heard the analogy of you know the, part of the first conversation I have with another guy is what do you do like that tells me a lot about you that's going to tell me if you're successful or if you're not successful so I'm instantly sizing you up as soon as I ask that question. And, you know, if he's like, hey, I'm a garbage man, I'll be like, hey, buddy, great to meet you. I'll see you later. I'm going to go talk to somebody else, yeah. uh, which is horrible. But, but it honestly is true. It, it honestly is it. true. I mean, that's, that's the way the world kind of works. It is. So I think what needs to happen is at some point you need to kind of say, okay, what is, what is my scoreboard? What is, what is the thing that I'm going to measure as, as success? For me, in the beginning, it was financial and title. I mean, those were the two things. Here's the downfall to that: title is easy. I can make you the president or CEO of whatever company you want to start. Mm-hmm. That one's an easy one to get. Um, to do it for a long period of time is a little bit more difficult. But a title doesn't mean anything. That's why you look at business cards now, and it's like, like uh, marketing ninja. What what does that mean? <laughs> it's like you just making up your own title. Uh, but from you know the other side of it, from a financial standpoint, when you have money in the bank, that could be a part of success. But if you're like a in business, like your P and L, your your financials. This month we had a bad month. Am I still a success or am I a failure? Uh, maybe out of two, three months of just breaking even or losing, actually losing money, and having to put money back into the business. Am I a su- success or am I a, f- a failure? I think that multiple people would differ on their opinion of that person, to whether or not they're a success, success or not. Some would say that you're a success because you're continuing to build something. Mm-hmm. Others would say you're a failure because you've lost money. Sure. So, so think,
0: all this different, different ideas going around. Right.
1: Uh, and then when you talk about your identity is in your success, your identity is what, in, in what you do. If, if you have a bad couple of months, there's li- literally right now post COVID, uh, which pre-post covid, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of businesses that were failures last year. Through no fault of their own, they were failures from a financial standpoint. Uh you know, they had to take money from the government. Uh they they probably sold less than they've sold in a very long time. Are those businesses failures? No. There were some circumstantial things that came into play and how they navigated that. Uh to me, if you survived that, you are a success. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> But my definition of success is different. So I think, you know, part of that is just removing your identity from the financial part of success and then redefining success. So for success would be for me, like, you know, spending time with like the amount of time that I can spend with my family. Um, It would be, do my children feel comfortable that they can share their struggles with me? Um, You know, we can have those tough conversations Um, And they're willing to share it. Uh, Success for me would be, you know, my employees. Do they enjoy their work? Do they feel like they're a part of something that is bigger than what they are? Um, Do I have the right people in the right place? Um, You know, am I I understanding their gifts and talents and putting them in an opportunity for success? Or am I putting them in an opportunity where they're just going to be frustrated and drained and ultimately leave the company? Mm -hmm. Um, So... All of those different things come into play. Obviously, I gotta pay my bills. Um, but for me, success is different. Uh, does my wife love me? Um, you know, the amount of years that you're married. I have a friend that says he's been he's been married for uh 13 years, um happily married for three, but been married for 13 years. I I don't wanna be the guy that says I've been happily married for three. I want to oh. be the guy that says I've been happily married. All the years, and I think that part of that is you know taking the time to invest in 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 your marriage, and so success is different uh, for a lot of people. But I I think when you can start removing some of the superficial what I think success should be uh, from your definition of success, then I think you're going to have a lot more fulfillment no matter what phase of life you're in. Uh, Even if you're just out of college and you're getting coffee for people, you can be a success in that. Um, But it's it's recognizing, okay, what does success look for like for me today? But also, like, where do I want to go? What, what do I want to do? Uh, and then am I working towards that? If I'm working towards that, then I'm a success. If I'm stagnant, if I'm on a plateau, and if I'm not w- working in that direction, I might be a failure at that point. And that's okay. Like, it's okay to fail. Um, I can learn from that failure and say, okay, you know, I spent this time doing this. It's, it's not getting me any closer to what I need to do all right, it's time to reevaluate, readjust and relaunch. And that's, that's where we need to go. And, uh, that can make all the difference in the world. Absolutely. So how would you say excellence
0: differs from success?
1: Well, it depends on, again, how you define success. Sure. Um, but like on the face value, I, I think excellence is for me, like it's, it's the extra mile. So, you know, I can do something well, like if, if you want to buy a marketing campaign from me and I complete that marketing campaign and it does what it's supposed to do, to me that's not excellence. That's just checking a box of I wanted to do direct mail, we did direct mail, and everything went out like it was supposed to. Uh, doing it with excellence would be what am I doing above and beyond to make sure that it is as successful as it possibly can be. So in that example, it would be, are we targeting correctly? Are we able to apply the right kind of postal discounts to make sure that we're getting the most amount of pieces out for the marketing spend? Um, You know, from a design standpoint, is it attractive? Is it drawing the attention in the right places? And really kind of looking past maybe what the customer wants to anticipating what they want and helping them through that. Because a lot of times they don't know what they want they want a bunch of phone calls or they want a bunch of business or they want X, Y, and Z. Yes. But if I get you a bunch of phone calls but nobody can afford your product, was that a success? No. I don't think so. So I, I think part of that doing things with excellence is really going above and beyond for that that customer, going above and beyond in whatever instance of what you're, what you're talking about doing and providing that in such a way that somebody steps back and goes, "Wow, you didn't, you didn't have to do that, but you did. Wow, I didn't expect that." Uh, I think excellence kind of starts pushing into that territory, and then there's obviously quality tied to it, which I think is an interwoven into that entire thing. Quality and cheap don't go well together, so at some point you do need to make a decision. But I think I can go above and beyond on a price point product and still provide excellence, um, but also not spend all my time on that to where it wasn't worth it for me to do it. So I, I think it's a little bit of a thin line, but mm-hmm. I think it's something that you have to sit down and for yourself decide. Yeah. What is, what is, what is doing this with excellence look like for my situation? Cause I, I think it'll vary in a lot of instances.
0: Yeah. Or even like what is, even what is personal excellence? Uh-huh. What's excellence like to be a father, to be mm-hmm. a husband? Obviously you talked about being a business person right there Yeah. in your faith. What yeah. does that look like? And it's really uh, important because excellence and success, like, it depends on the person, but it's about what you said, being the best that you can do and doing the best you can do, but also um, going above and beyond to make it as good as it can be.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that, going back to some of the other things, you know, excellence and success, there's, there's a lot of factors to that. But there's people that are just interwoven into that entire thing. And I think sometimes it's just seeing a person for who they are, listening to them, taking the time. I mean, spending time with a person could be all the excellence you need and just and just hearing what they have to say. Uh, I've, I've run into countless situations where um, I've had customers that have left other companies <clears throat> that are my competition and come to do stuff with us just because they didn't feel hurt. Just because they didn't feel like the person they were working with cared. Mm. And how do I convey how do I convey care? Time. And I think that, you know, if I say whatever like if I'm just gonna work on this one thing today and it's gonna be here working through this with you, that I'm willing to do that, that's doing stuff of excellence. And and I think that people can tell that you care, they can tell that you want, you know their best interest, or they can tell when you don't. And if you're able to do that, I think that that is a great way to convey excellence. Uh, and it's a great way to just look at all situations is just recognize, recognizing that the the people element that's, that's a part of everything. If you can understand people, you're going to be successful in a lot of things. Yeah, some people are tough to understand, but... They can be, but I think also, if you take that time to... Kind of see where they're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think I think you can solve a person unless they're just like mentally unstable. Then not, then you then all bets are off. But yeah, like the more I understand a person, I'll, that's where my empathy that I suck at comes in. Like now I'm not impatient with you. Now I have compassion for you because I recognize that you're an idiot and you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the empathy wore off about halfway through that sentence. Yeah. I think you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I was just joking, but it's so important. Just a simple action like caring for somebody makes a difference. Giving yeah. them time makes a difference. Like you talked about, and and speaking of that, going back a little bit to your family, being a husband and a father, you know what are what are some things that you think are really important to do with for your wife, for your kids. I know we've talked a lot about a, a lot of things on here, but the care and the time, yeah. just something as simple as that. What does that look like for you now? with two young boys that are growing up, um, a wife you've been married to for a long time. How do you stay consistent in that? And what do you do to try to push yourself to be better in that?
1: Yeah, this is a dangerous conversation because whatever I say here, if it gets back to them, I'm really held accountable. Um, you know, uh, for, for my wife and my kids, again, time is huge. Uh, what I found is that if I'm in the room with you but I'm not paying attention to you, that doesn't count as time. That's mm-hmm. a little gold nugget for you. Yeah. So if I'm watching a game and she's sitting right here, doesn't count. Even though it's like you know four-hour football game, we've spent zero time together. Not necessarily quality really time. Yeah. Really frustrating. If I'm in the car with you and you're sitting next to me, zero time. Um, so I think that you know partly just understanding... The, their, their needs. Uh, I'm going to recommend a book here because uh, this is something that has awakened a lot for me. It's a book called Love and Respect, which I think I've talked to you about. Mm-hmm. Um, women need love and men need respect. And that is the title of the book. And you still need to read it, but that's <laughs> the gist of it. But I think if you understand what love means to your wife and if you're able to give her that, Man, that's you're gonna have a ton of success right there because when you get married, um, there's a there's a celebration happening, but there's also a funeral happening, and I don't know if you're aware of that. The celebration is that you're starting a new life with somebody, and that's awesome. You're the potent, You have all the potential in the world, and it's kind of like what we've like been programmed to work towards. Like, right? Like, you know, grow up graduate get married have kids retire and die I think that's like I think that's pretty much all the, the high points um, I'm on the retire and die part I think that's all I got left to do but the funeral part of it is uh, your selfish ambitions dies at that point point. and that is really depressing but what I found is the guys that I would say have struggled in their marriage are still pursuing the things that they pursued before they were married and um, not to say that I've, you know, just totally given up on my dreams. Sure. But recognizing that, like, you know, I'm going, th- like, I'm, go- I've had my time as a as a young man to really kind of be and go do what I want to do. Stay up late, go play a ton of golf, uh, go to the lake, go on a ski trip. Like, just go do all this fun stuff. Play video games all night long. Like, that was that was my time to do that. And when I've gotten married, now I have to make sure that that person is fulfilled. And so the only way to do that, they're not going to fulfill themselves. Like I was essentially created to fulfill her needs and she was created to fulfill my needs. And the way to do that is to constantly pour into her. And what will happen and what love and respects talks about is when you fill up her love tank, she will naturally reciprocate back um if her love tank is empty uh, what she will do is she will be disrespectful to you and you need respect so she's going to give you the opposite response of what you need uh, in order to motivate you to be more loving to her and i call that hugging the cactus (laughs) Uh, you basically become the most horrible (laughs) version of yourself and i'm supposed i'm supposed to go oh I don't like it when my wife is this way. I'm now going to act very lovingly to her. That is really foreign to me and it's foreign to a lot of people. So it's counterintuitive. But that's how we work. The the other thing is like I know that she needs love, or maybe I don't know that she needs love. Uh I'm not going to give her love if she's disrespectful to me. So like they call it the crazy cycle and essentially Um, it's what a lot of people do in their relationships and they don't know that they're doing it and the next thing they know they're frustrated because they're like man I'm just not happy in this marriage it sucks like I'm just getting you know absolutely destroyed Uh, and the book actually addresses like when some people are like oh man like I I was blindsided because I got divorced because everything was great well everything was great because she stopped being disrespectful for you because she stopped caring and when you can recognize that when she's confronting you and when she's kind of pushing you uh, it's because she cares and the things that you do naturally to kind of say you know oh, well i care I'm, therefore i'm not going to fight with you um, it, it's this crazy cycle so read the book it's great but the book gives you um something called the energizing cycle and the energizing cycle is something that will help you get off of that crazy cycle and help start pouring in to her needs uh and giving her the things that she needs. And and when you do that, that's when you start to see the fruit. That's when you start to see that scoreboard start going up. Because um it's it's not super difficult. Uh it's just things that we would not think of. We would we would think, I'm gonna buy you a nice car, that's an expression of my love, and she's gonna go we can't afford this. Why are you doing that? Yeah. And, uh, well, if you have that much money, then I'm going to go buy this. And you're like, no, that car was for you. Like, yeah, it was a major sacrifice. Uh, instead, this is, this is the thing that blows my mind. Uh, I was at an event and they had these little postcards and the, and the, the people said, Hey, just, you know, put an address of whoever you want to and just mail, we'll pay for the postage. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I just write thinking of you. And I put my home address and my wife's name on there and mail it to her. This was like four or five years ago. Uh-huh. That postcard is still by her nightstand. Really? And she's she's hung on to that. And the reason that she likes it, from what I understand, is that I was thinking about her during my day. And that, was, that filled her low tank. Mm. And it didn't cost me anything to do it. But I was able to pour into her um, just by saying, I'm thinking about you right now and that's what she needed and that's what she needs like, I need different things she needs different things but if you can understand those energizing things man you'll have a really really healthy relationship and the same thing with your kids your kids just want your approval they just want you to uh, they want you to watch them they they want your attention like I literally my son uh, he has a little dirt bike and he wants me to watch him take it over a jump he wants me to watch him drive around he wants me to play basketball with him um, they just you know my oldest son loves fishing. If I'm just in the boat with him now, that time counts. If I'm in a boat and we're both fishing and we're not even looking at each other, that counts as like a full day together. We went hunting, counts as a full day together. My wife, zero time. But for them, uh, it's huge, and they just they just want somebody who believes in them, who cares about them. Um, they want their approval. I don't have daughters, but from what I've learned, you know young girls are just looking for the approval of their father and if they don't get that they're going to look someplace else and that's where it just gets off the rails and so just be there for your kids spend the time um and invest in them and you're going to see a ton of success just just from doing that
0: yeah absolutely and one of the things too on the the spouse part you know, there's a lot of really good things about understanding your spouse And knowing who she is, the things that she enjoys, like you talked about, like the five love languages is a a good book as well on that. And, you know, there's words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, and you start to gain some clarity on who that person is kind of behind the scenes, even though you're with them every day, you you kind of knew that before, but you kind of really hone in on some things that make a lot of sense, Mm -hmm. like the quality time. You know that's something that my wife is like to need that quality time if we're sitting watching TV that's not quality time you know Mm -hmm. we have to be talking doing something intentional whereas I just went to Nashville to watch my cousin graduate from Vanderbilt and my dad and I just went on a little trip yeah and we had a great time but we can sit in a car and not talk but there's something about the presence Mm -hmm. of, of like your father and every every kid's different but going back to what you just said going fishing, just fishing, being together. That's something that I feel like, at least from my perspective, that I really enjoyed that just that little time. Obviously we talk, but, but uh, it was so important just being there, being present, mm-hmm. you know, always being around is really important as a father. And another thing I think about as a parent that you talked about earlier is just the example that you set. Like I remember for my dad, he's not necessarily a guy who, He's going to be talking about all the things that you should be doing. He's more of just a guy who just lives it and mm-hmm. sets the example. And so I watched that at a young age and was able to follow that. And it just reminds me that our example is so powerful. And so when you talk about passion and purpose and the people that live that kind of you're attracted to, that's such a great example for your kids to watch. Mm-hmm. Being someone that's passionate and purposeful in what they do and their work. In their relationships uh, and their faith like that's that speaks for itself you know and so how do you identify like how can you find things you're passionate about understanding a purpose because when you focus on those things you don't always stray away from comparing yourself to other people you don't always stray away from looking down the road where you want to be so I guess to sum it all up how do people kind of funnel themselves into understanding that you talk about your one degree but identifying some things that they're passionate about and then starting to pursue those things and live with intentionality in their life.
1: Yeah, I think one degree is a really, really good way to do that. But I will say this. One degree for somebody in their 20s is difficult um, just because I don't think you've had enough time to live out some experiences and try, try new stuff. So if you're just out of college uh, or you know in high school and college, now's the time to just go try a bunch of stuff, go fail, go succeed, just put yourself out there. And that's going to hopefully be an opportunity for a little bit later on for you to look back and say, okay, I enjoyed these things. I was successful in these things, whether it be, um, you know, I made a lot of money or i had a lot of great relationships or man, I never even felt like I was working because like, you know, I was just constantly doing what I love. Like that kind of stuff is just a lot of, um, um, I want to say criteria, but it, it's a lot of just fuel for narrowing into that one degree because the other side of one degree is if you've only been going in one direction, then you don't know what the other three hundred sixty or three hundred fifty nine degrees are. Absolutely, that's so, a great point. So you need to go out there and, and do that. Um, the other thing was uh, in my talking with Dave, uh, was understanding the concept of a home run, and and so he would he would basically kind of talk about. Like, when you were operating in your drivers, you would see these things that would be a home run, and that was a difficult one for me to kind of get my head around because I'm just like, all right, a home run is like a Grand Slam home run. Like, it's, you know, we win the game. It's yeah. a walk off. Like, it's it's this huge thing. And so I was looking for these just massive things. It's like, okay, a home run would be I make a million dollars. Okay, I haven't done that yet. So yeah. zero home runs. Uh, <laughs> a home run would be like, you know, having a huge amount of success in my business and you know just having no adversity no struggles N- nope i haven't had that either so yeah I, was like, I don't have any home runs this sucks but when i kind of stepped back from it a little bit um i looked at my relationship with my kids in relation to my drivers and, and so like when you go through one degree and you kind of narrow that stuff down i was able to attribute a lot of the success in the and in the, in the relationship that i have with them as a home run Um, because I recognize that many of my drivers, whether it be problem solving, whether it be influencing, whether it be, uh, you know, teaching and guiding, those are all things that I was able to do with my kids. And, uh, I I don't know how to say that. I'm not trying to brag. It's just like, I get compliments about my kids. I have, I feel like I have a good relationship with my kids. And so like, I'm like, okay, that's a home run for me. That's, that's something where, you know, they're, they're just not quite teenagers yet. I got a teenager now, so I could screw this whole thing up still. Yeah. <laughs> but so far, like, I'm able to, like, ask them questions. And I'm able to talk to them like adults, like, like people. It's not a, you know, I'm not their friend. I'm not their buddy. Like, you know, I want them to be successful. But they also, they want me to be proud of them. And so, uh, you know, I'm constantly working with that. So I'm like, okay, that's, for me, what a home run looks like. All right, now how do I translate that? that to other stuff. And so kind of going back to that big question of like, how do I find my purpose? How do I find other things that I'm passionate about? You know, it's, I, I'll say that I'm still working on that. Um, and part of it is like taking your drivers, your things that you're passionate about that you think you're passionate about for a test drive and just going through them. You're like, okay, uh, I say that I like problem solving. Let's put a problem in front of me and see what happens. And if I start doing it, I'm like, this sucks. Like, yeah. this is horrible. What am I doing? Um, maybe that's not a driver for me, but you know, like I said, with the Rubik's cube, like, Oh, it bothered me that I didn't know it, but I wasn't, it wasn't something where I was just like completely drained. Like I, my subconscious was working. Like I'd be going to bed or I'd be driving and I'm thinking, you know, up, up, left, right, left, down, right. Yeah. like All the different like codes, and like how you do them and I'm just sitting there going okay and then I'm thinking about how he's doing I'm like well he's not doing those he's doing something else and then I'm like oh there's multiple ways to solve this uh-huh. I just gotta figure out this one way but it's like I might just kind of figure out like something that like if I'm here at this step so it just it just kind of like churns and churns. and the next thing you know when I'm in front of the Rubik's Cube I'm already halfway through the process or I've anticipated the thing and I'm like okay like, those things are things that are pointing me to, like, this is something that energizes me. Like, my my subconscious is trying to do this thing without me even trying. And, uh, you know, obviously, tie success into that, tie, um, you know, some of the natural things that you'll see. And those things will start rising to the top. Um, but I, I think part of it is just really acknowledging that you were created for a purpose, acknowledging that... Uh, There are specific things that you're good at, and there's also specific things that you're horrible at, Uh, and then recognizing the difference between something that you're good at and something that you are really enjoy doing and that brings you life. And and I would just attribute it to, if I do this, am I worn out, or if I do this, am I energized? And the ones that I'm energized in, those are the ones I'm going to start tracking towards because that's going to start getting me closer and closer to that purpose what would you
0: say if someone's in a job or something that they just feel not energized they're Mm -hmm. always struggling maybe stressed out how do you get out of that and being in that situation
1: yeah that's a difficult question because especially when we go back to when people think that their job is their identity and everything else like Mm -hmm. that's that's almost like a whole other podcast but I would say this: If you can start figuring out what your drivers are, there are probably things in your job right now that you can do that are more aligned with your drivers and more uh, that you can really spend a lot of your time on, and then potentially delegate or uh, you know go to your manager or whoever else and be like, "Hey man, these are the things I really recognize that I need to focus on. These are the things I don't." If you have a good leader or if you have good leadership, mm-hmm. you know maybe they may even take you through your strength finders or they might take you through some of the things that, that you know that like, these are the things that I'm really good at, uh, your anagrams or whatever else, because if they've done a good job building a team, then they're going to put different people in different places and assign different things that are going to energize people. For example, um, my VP of sales, he is an idea guy. And I didn't know that until I got into, uh, a strength finders with him. It's called ideation. That's one of his strengths. So now, instead of me trying to come up with all these ideas, I just say, hey, Greg, here's what we need to do. Give me a bunch of ideas. And he's like, <laughs> got it. And he'll just, you know, crank a bunch of stuff out. And next thing I know, it comes back at me. Now, I'm a problem solver. And so I'm going to pick one of those ideas to solve the problem. Yeah. But I know that I can hand that, that part off to him. I had another person that, you know, their strength was more um, like guiding people in terms of like, um, you know, teaching people how to do stuff. And so I was like, okay, I need to put this person in this position over here to do that. So if you have that opportunity and you have that kind of leadership, go for that. If you're the leader, by all means, try to figure out like the things that you're best at and then delegate the rest. Uh, If you're in a situation where you don't have that option, um, get your head up and start looking because you're capable of way more than you think. So you can be in a crappy situation for a long time, um, but you need to start getting a plan. To, to start working towards something else because your family's going to uh, pay the price. Your kids are going to pay the price. Your company is going to pay the price. Everybody's going to suffer because you're not operating in what you were designed to be. And nobody nobody wants to be around that.
0: Yeah, I and mean, that's probably one of the biggest keys mm-hmm. is when that happens, it it's a trickle-down effect
1: to all those around you. It doesn't feel like it, but... Over time, you'll be like, man, I'm just grumpy all the time. Yeah. Or, why do I hate my job? And why does everybody at work hate me? I don't I don't know. Well, it's possible that you're not operating your strengths.
0: Yeah, and I think, too, when you start identifying those things, it's like having the courage to step away from something that's familiar and step into something that's unfamiliar, but it might be a step in the right direction to get you going towards that thing that might potentially be something you're passionate about or purposeful in. Mm -hmm. and it's just taking that step of courage to get there
1: yep community around you will help make that easier Mm -hmm. so if you you know Jim Rohn says you're the the average of the five people that you hang around uh if you're around those kinds of people that are the people that you you want to work towards they're going to encourage you they're going to show you that path to to make that bold step you know out into the unknown and I think that you know you need that if you don't have a good group of friends around you you don't have people that are challenging you or you don't have people that are further along in life than you you know maybe that's the reason that you're listening to this right Mm like you're hopefully learning and gleaning from other people um but you need to have that crew around you Um, and again it's going to take time it's going to take vulnerability it's going to take empathy it's going to take all that stuff uh to start building that but when you do then when you're in that situation and it's tough and you have to make a big decision they're the people that can kind of be your cheerleaders to get through it.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, we're going to start wrapping it up. I want to ask you a few questions. All right. Got a little fire round for you. Okay. So, um, basically I'll say the the sentence uh, and a few words, and then you just sum it up and whatever comes first to your mind. So finish the sentence. You can do anything if...
1: You can do anything if you're passionate about it. My mission is... My mission... Is to solve problems, to find the right way to do it, and help bring other people along in the process. Mm-hmm. Focus is? Focus is tough. Focus is one of those situations where you're saying no to so many things that uh, you're only saying yes to the things that are taking you in the direction you want to go to. And I hate saying no. Yeah. <laughs> so it's tough. Yeah.
0: Uh, discipline comes from focus. Focus. <laughs> focus
1: love is uh love is what my wife needs okay. and respect <laughs> is what i need yeah,
0: there, you there you go awesome well, that's a little fire round uh, a few more questions as we finish it up do you have any favorite books besides love and respect you talked about favorite books podcasts tools that will enable you to grow um that are some of your favorites
1: yeah, uh, I mean, Love and Respect definitely for, for Marriage is one that I would highly recommend. Um, man, there's uh, a lot of John Maxwell books that are great, um, that just kind of are taking you in, in that, that direction. Malcolm Gladwell, like all those guys. Um, I think there's one that I read not too long called Leaders Eat Last, which is a Simon Sinek book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, really, I, I've yet to really come across the book, with the exception of the book Whale Done. Um, that are really good books. Just again, that's going to spark that curiosity, and I'm going to take you in that direction of, like, you know, this is something that I want to work towards, or I want to encourage my myself to do. You know, you know, same thing with good to great. It's like it's just looking at something a little bit differently, and saying, okay, let let's 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 get this to improve it, let's innovate it, let's make it make it better. I say except for well done because uh-huh. uh, well done is a, a book. That I read a while back and it, I was conflicted on it okay. because essentially it's about like killer whales and okay. like how they get killer whales to do all this amazing stuff. Okay. But it's essentially like you're encouraging good behavior and you're ignoring bad behavior. And it was this leadership book and I, it's probably still out there, but I mean, obviously you've seen what happens with sea World, Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah. But it was, it was, it was, it was just kind of a weird book that like, all right, I understand what you're saying. I think maybe some of the principles are good, but the, the lens that it was like shaped around was just kind of like, all right, I'm going to celebrate you when you do exactly what I want you to do. And it's, it was essentially manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which manipulation is not a bad thing. Like when we, we manipulate people all the time and it gets this, you know, kind of bad rap, but. I think influence might be the better word for it. Mm-hmm. Like if it's used in the positive sense and manipulation in the negative sense, but it was, it was really borderline. And so, yeah, it was, it was a fun one for me. I was like, mm, I'm not sure I agree with all this. Yeah. I've never, I've never <laughs>
0: read that one, but I,
1: I, if it's not in print anymore, which who knows yeah, about, I have a copy and I'll let you borrow it. Okay. Awesome. Well, how would you like to be remembered? You know, that's a tough one because, you know, My great-grandfather, I don't know anything about. Mm. My grandfather, I really don't know. Like, I know bits and pieces. Yeah. So, a part of me goes, aside from like a, you know, you look at, I say Christopher Columbus, he's kind of getting a bad rap these days. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's, it's almost like the frame of culture kind of determines whether you're worth remembering or not. So, I don't know necessarily that I want to be remembered for anything. If I go more spiritual, it's... I just want Christ to say, "Well done." Like if if I'm in that situation, you know, you've operated in your purpose. You didn't you didn't waste your gifts. You you know were focused on the right things, and you you pointed people back to me. That's what I would want to be remembered for. But I don't think people are going to remember me. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I think that doesn't matter. Yeah. If I'm being honest, uh, what really matters is like if we're going to take a more spiritual view of it is did I point people to Christ did I um, did I operate in my gifts and my talents and my purpose and did I do that well if I did that it doesn't matter if I'm remembered or not
0: Mm -hmm. it's funny you say that because I was on a trip in Australia and it was for study abroad Mm -hmm. and we were down at uh, it was Manly Beach which is where the guy's last name is Manly I don't know his first name yeah but he had a little plaque that was on the beach. And I was sitting there and I'm one of those guys. I'm um, any, anytime I see something historical, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of reading it, knowing what's going on. And I was sitting there reading this story about Manley. And he was one of the first people who invented surfing or whatnot. And, and that was the beach that, that was on. And I'm sitting there watching people just pass by me. Mm-hmm. And yet there's this big plaque on this guy. No one, no one wants to read it. And I had this epiphany, like, you know what? Like, when we're gone we're not necessarily remembered mm. but what made sense to me was it's not necessarily who it is but because people don't care about mainly they care about surfing right surfing's passed on a lot of people surf love surfing but we think about ourselves like it's not so much us that's passed on it's more of the qualities like you talked about um you know did i love people did i show love to my kids did I show love to my my wife that I pass on traits, ultimately, that are Christ-like, and those types of qualities pass on for generations generations to generations. And I think it's how you can do that effectively uh, and be the best at what, you know, you're doing and pass that on to the people that are around you on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting you say that because I think the same way in regards to that.
1: So you're telling me it's a trick question. Yeah, well, (laughs) it's not a trick question.
0: I always like to see what people say, but... To me, it's, you know, it's, it definitely sounds like, you know, morbid when you say, well, no one's going to remember me. But at the same time, it's like, well, honestly, think about who's, think about who's the president of South Africa right now. I couldn't tell you. It's funny. We're all in our own little environments, but the things that last are obviously faith is important to to myself. And I know you as well, Mm -hmm. that, that lasts, but it's uh not so much the people, but we tend to think that we're important in our own little sphere of influence, for sure.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you're pointing back to the scoreboard again. And yeah. I, I would just say that that, that is a way to keep score. Like, how am I remembered? But mm-hmm. at that point, I'm gone. So yeah. You know, the, not much I can do about it. You know, the well, how somebody interprets that plaque is really going to be how I'm remembered at that point. And, mm-hmm. At that point, I really don't care. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) You talked a little about excellence a little bit. What does building excellence mean to you?
1: Well, I think excellence is obviously built. I don't think you can have excellence without that process. Um, I think the other part of it is is excellence is never complete. Um, I don't think that if I do something with excellence today that I can do the same thing tomorrow and Mm -hmm. consider it excellence. So I I think excellence is a journey, um, and I, I think that, if you're striving for excellence, you're you're innovating all the time, and I think that today's innovation becomes, you know, uh, yesterday's um, standard features. I mean, you yeah, cars didn't used to have seatbelts, yeah, and that was pretty innovative at the time. Yeah, and now like you can't buy a car without one, to my knowledge. Yeah, um, so you. If I was just like, hey, man, we have cars that have headlights, windshield wipers, and seatbelts. We're doing things with excellence. I would take issue with that. And I think that you have to keep moving to keep aspiring for for excellence. And if you're on that path and you're walking down that path, then maybe you're getting a little closer to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a process for sure. Yep. Yep. Awesome.
0: Well, Evan, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing all the knowledge you just shared. There's so many great things that we could have talked for a lot longer about, um, you know, through all the the things you talked about, but also thanks for being a good husband, father, for making a difference for the right reasons. Um, and it'll be definitely very impactful for the people that listen. So thanks for being on the show. I'm excited, man. Yep. Thanks. Hey everyone. It's Bailey miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show and if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcasts, writing a quick review or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership and legacy. Now, if you have any questions, thoughts or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's Bailey at Baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Uh, Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.